So we are continuing uh, in our sermon series called Kingdom Minded, where we're studying the Sermon on the Mount. So what this is, is Jesus, it took his disciples up onto a mountain, and he's starting to preach this sermon to his disciples. So not to a big crowd, but specifically to his disciples saying, hey, if we are to be a follower of Christ, this is what it looks like. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And repent means a change of thinking that leads to a change in action. So we're saying, okay, if I no longer want to live for my own personal kingdom, but I want to live for the kingdom of heaven, what does that look like? How am I supposed to think and how am I supposed to act? And what we've been seeing is Jesus has been giving us these commands and these different ways we can live out this righteousness that he gives us. And so tonight, we're going to be looking at fasting, which I don't think many Christians talk about too much these days. And maybe some of you never even heard this word or thought about it or what that necessarily means. So I just want to start by just asking this open-ended question, y'all, is that what is fasting? So when you hear the word fasting, when you see that, what is a word that comes to mind? What is a picture that comes to mind? What is a definition that comes to mind that maybe you think of or that you have heard? What is fasting? Yes, sir. It's like whenever like, you stop eating for a few days and like, noticing how everything, like being thankful for everything. Okay. Anybody else want to take like, just what they think? is fasting yes ma'am a period of time when you like take a break or stop doing a certain thing okay for a while to like take time and uh, like have a deeper connection to something else okay anybody else how about this who's willing to be honest who by show of hands would say like honestly i really don't know about fasting or like what that necessarily is or what i would do or definition and that's okay. That's, that's what we're here to learn about this. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give a definition from a gentleman named Donald Whitney. He's the one on the left you'll see. So he's basically the spiritual disciplines guru, basically. And so this is from his book, Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life. And this is how he defines fasting. It's a believer's voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. So what it's meaning is if someone's going to sacrifice food for a set amount of time, it could be one meal, it could be a whole day, it could be a whole week. There are some that we even see in Scripture where they've gone up to 40 days without food. Why? Because the ultimate goal is they want to gain more of Christ. Is that they're, they're sacrificing physical matters, things of this world, in order to gain more of Christ. So one way for it to describe before is like, let's say when you are missing a meal, when you're purposely fasting. So fasting is not just... Oh, I forgot to eat breakfast this morning, so I guess I'm fasting. That's not fasting. What fasting is, is like, hey, I, like, I want to see this change in my life, or, or let's say I want to pray for our country that grieves me to see, so I'm going to abstain. I'm going to hold off from eating certain meals. And let's say when, like, when we start feeling hungry in those growls, we use that as a time to, okay, now I'm going to pray as a response. So that way we cling to Christ even more than, let's say, worldly things and see more of our need for Christ. And so that's what we're going to be looking at tonight, because here's the thing, is, is we as fallen, sinful human beings, our desire is the things of this world. We want to gain more of this world. We want to gain and build more of our own personal kingdom. That's what we want to gain more of. But what we're going to see tonight, the main point, if you're following along in your notes, is this, is to be kingdom-minded, is to fast in order to desire Christ more and desire the world less. That we want to desire Christ more and the world less. That we're, that we're abstaining from things of this world in order to gain more of Christ. 
saying, Lord, that, that, that Jesus, I need you more than food. Jesus, I need you more than social media. Jesus, I need you more than fill in the blank. That there's a purpose to this fasting because we want to we desire Christ more. We want to see him as more valuable and more worthy than anything the world could throw at us or anything the world could offer us. So to be kingdom-minded is to fast in order to desire Christ more and desire the world less. So we are going to be in Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at just three verses tonight, verses 16 through 18. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. If you don't have your physical Bibles, it's on the back side of your notes, so you can follow along with it. So if there's certain words that stick out, you can circle or underline or take notes on that side as well. We're going to look at Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18. So here's what it says. This is the word of the Lord. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, um, I come before you, and all of us come before you in desperate need of you. Um, would you just remove pride in every one of our hearts right now as we go forward in this? Would you be able to just lay our hearts bare from your word and just see more of our need for Christ? Um, I am I'm totally unworthy to be able to preach this outside of the power of the Holy Spirit that authored and inspired this word. So, Holy Spirit, would you just come and would just you just preach through me as only you can. Holy Spirit, would you just open up our minds to be able to understand this passage? Would you open up our eyes to see more of our need for Christ? Would you open up our ears to hear the truth from this? Would you just remove any sort of burdens and distractions that might be weighing heavy on our hearts on our minds, on our soul, just free us up from those distractions in order to hear more from your truth. And would you open up our hearts to receive this truth and to bear fruit? Would you help us desire Christ more? Because you are the one that lives to glorify Christ. So would you help us with that more? None of this is possible without you. Would you help us glorify Christ over these next several minutes? Continue to make Christ's name known. It's in Christ's holy, precious name that we pray. Amen. So there is two truths that we want to get out of this that Jesus is talking about when it comes to desiring Christ more and desiring the world less. And we see two different types of fasting he's going to talk about. So the first one is this. Fake fasting gains the approval of man. Fake fasting gains the approval of man. So here's what he says about the hypocrites that, that do this fake sort of fasting. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fa fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So something I want us to see right off the bat in verses 16 and verses 17 is this phrase here, which says, and when you fast, or in verse 17, but when you fast. So we just see from those two verses alone is this, is that Jesus expects us to fast. There's an expectation from Christ on us as followers that we will fast. That we will abstain from different worldly things in order to desire Him more and pursue Him more and grow more in our relationship with Him. 
That it's another way of this righteousness he talks about that must be greater than the Pharisees that he's given us that we are to pursue. This is one way that we can pursue this and grow more in this relationship with him. Now we see this twice in this. But I want to give a little bit of kind of a backstory, a little bit of background for us to understand, okay, what does it mean by fasting? And where do we see fasting in other places in Scripture? Well, let's start with the Old Testament, because that's what these disciples would know, is at least the Old Testament. And there's several examples that we see in the Old Testament of figures in that fasting. So fasting was a prominent element in the Jewish religious life at this time. So even some of the strict Pharisees at this time would fast twice a week. Or there would be at least one fast year for the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament. Or even Moses himself fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights when he was getting the Ten Commandments from God. Or something else we see is Samuel gathered all of Israel together. In 1 Samuel 7, 5 and 6, he gathered all of Israel together to have a fast because they sinned against the Lord. That the group fasted together out of repentance before God. Or when Nehemiah heard about, let's say, the walls of Jerusalem being broken down and the gates being burned by fire, is that he wept and mourned deeply, but also said he fasted and prayed before the Lord for guidance, for help, that ultimately led him getting to these resources to be able to rebuild the wall, that he fasted for this. Or we see in Daniel 9, 3, that even Daniel fasted to pray to the Lord for his people who had sinned against God. So we see several examples already of just this pattern of fasting. So this is something that's already been prevalent that the Jews would know about this time. But now I want to see where are some examples in the New Testament, because obviously we're in the New Covenant, we're under Christ, we're under grace. So where are the examples in the New Testament of how he expects us to fast? Well, the first one we see is that Jesus himself fasted. In fact, just a couple chapters before this, in Matthew 4, it says Jesus fasted, and that's when he went into the wilderness, and that's when he was tempted by Satan. It literally said he fasted four days and four nights and said he was hungry. So we see even the person that we claim to follow, that he fasted himself. We even see a beautiful picture of how this helps us gain more of Christ, is that when Satan tempted Jesus with bread, he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by the word of God that comes out of his mouth. Or we see in Luke 2, in the, in the story where Jesus is being presented in the temple, there was this prophetess named Anna who was in her upper 80s, she was a widow in her upper 80s, and she dedicated herself to the temple and said she worshipped by praying and fasting. So you see another example of just this fasting, waiting for this coming of the Lord. And then even in Acts, in the book of Acts, the disciples, whenever they would make an important decision of sending off leaders or appointing leaders or anointing them, laying hands on them and pray, that they would pray and fast to help with these important decisions that they were going to make with this. So we see a precedent in the Old Testament and in the New Testament with this. And so a lot of times what people would do is, the tradition would be, they would dress up in sackcloth, is what they would wear, and they would put ashes on their face. And the goal was this, is just to kind of have this contrite heart, this heart that is laid out before God and humbled. That they would see this, of what they were wearing is, okay, they're humbling themselves before God with this. But unfortunately, what happened is now as we carry over into this, the Pharisees took this practice of the sackcloth and, and putting ashes on their face. And instead of showing it to be, oh, wow, they're humbling themselves before God, they took that practice and instead used it to look really nice and religious and pious in front of other Jewish people. As we even saw, they would, tw- uh, they would fast twice a week. And so what they're doing now is they're putting all this ash on their face. Why? So that they can seem really nice, really religious in front of people. That's why it says in verse 16, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their face. 
they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. So what they were doing is literally they're disfiguring their faces, meaning they're trying to make it not even look like their regular face. They're trying to look so different and so gloomy that, that they just look so miserable that people are like, wow, they're really, they're really going after God. When really they're just going after the approval of man. So people think that they're being really pious and really religious. That instead of showing a repentant heart before God, they just want to build their reputation amongst other people in the community around them. That literally to disfigure is to mar or to spoil the appearance of. So they would mar their face with so much ashes and other ways that people would look at them and think because they look so miserable and so different that they really must be going after God. And so something we see is someone that fakes fasting cares more about their reputation with others rather than their relationship with God. That they care more about their reputation with others than their relationship with God. So that's why we see at the end of verse 16, that why do they look gloomy? Why do they disfigure their face for their fasting? So they may be seen by others. So we've seen this same phrase, that they may be seen by others. We saw that when it talked about giving to the needy, how they would go into the little trumpet-looking uh, altar that they would go to, or that they would drop their coins in, make sure they purposely rattled off a bunch of coins so it sounded like they're giving a lot. Or when people prayed, they would purposely stand in front of the synagogue or they'd stand on the busy street corner. Why? So they could be seen by others. They wanted everybody to see what they were doing. But Jesus is saying, no, that is not how we're supposed to be doing this. We're supposed to be doing this in secret. It's about your heart behind this. Are you just trying to get more praise for man? Or are you trying to get the approval and praise of God? What is your motivation behind this? So some of us might still say, okay, I don't think I'm seeing anyone dressing up in sackcloth. I don't think I'm seeing anybody put ashes on their face to do this. So, so why are we talking about this fasting? Why is this so important for us to understand today? Is that even though we might not see, let's say, sackcloth and ashes today, is that there's still the same kind of attitude that we'll see in people today. That we might not wear sackcloth and ashes, but we'll certainly do other things to get the approval of man. That we might do other things to get the most views and the most likes and most seen by others that people go, wow, that person is really going after God. But is that really the case? That we might not be, co- we might not be covering our faces with, with ashes, but we might be covering our faces with filters. That we might not be wearing sackcloth, but we might be wearing the nicest designer clothes. What is our motivation behind that? Anybody ever heard the phrase, don't judge a book by its cover? Anybody ever heard that? Because well, I bet you there's some, we could look at a cover and say, that looks like a really just ugly looking cover, but it could be a great story. And we would never know unless we got behind the book, unless we could go past the surface and see. Or there might be someone who goes, eh, it just looks like an okay cover. It's all right. When we go behind the cover, we could see a beautiful story that lays out in front of that. Or we can see one that says, wow, that looks like a great cover. That looks exciting. It looks thrilling. It looks so colorful. But then we go behind the book and read it. There's really not much to it. We can't do this on a surface level. We can't have surface level Christianity. We can't just have someone who look nice on the front. We have to dig our roots deep and cold close to Christ because we must constantly fight against this wanting to be approved by people. We must constantly be striving to to repent of that and cling close to Christ because we're constantly fighting against that desire. That if we want, as we saw last week, if we want Christ's kingdom come and his will to be done, then our kingdom must be overthrown and that Christ must take the throne of our lives. 
So let me ask you this, that, that if we're talking about this motivation, what is your motivation when you do anything that you do? I mean just anything that you do, from, from the school that you do, from the sports that you do, when you post stuff on social media, what is your motivation behind that? Or maybe what is your motivation maybe when you wear, let's say, clothing that might have Christian sayings or, or, or verses on it? What, what, what is your motivation maybe when you wear like a cross around your neck? Or other people that might have, let's say, a tattoo of a cross or a verse? What is your motivation for posting that picture on social media? Maybe about an event that you served at or a trip that you attended. But what is your motivation behind that? Is it just to get more likes and more comments and more shares and more views? Or is it genuinely something where you just want, I want to show what God is doing? Because I'm not saying any of these things are bad. I want you to know that it's okay to wear these different clothing. It's okay to wear a cross necklace. It's okay to post pictures about serving, things like that. I'm not saying these are inherently bad, that we should live like monks. I'm saying, what is our motivation behind these things? Are we trying to make more of Christ or more of ourselves? That we should live out what the psalm says in Psalm 139, 23 and 24, where it says, God, would you search my heart? And would you find that there's no grievous way in me, no offending way in me? And would you lead me in the way everlasting? That before we do these things, will we lay our hearts bare and say, God, would you search my motives? And, and if none of these motives are good, would you lead me in Christ-honoring ways? Because here's, here's the thing. Here's the truth, another one I want us to see. The praise of man will never last and never satisfy. That's what we see in the end of verse 16 where it says, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. And the reward they've received, it's the praise of man. It's the approval of man. But here's the thing. There's, there's always more approval that they want. That there's always more that they could desire. That we could post about that and we could have awesome. We could get so X amount of views and X amount of likes and X amount of comments and retweets and everything. But there'll always be another post that has more. Or I always want more. We could always do better. And we'll be constantly fighting that battle that will never end and will never truly satisfy. But as we'll see, when we, when we work from a stance of, of moving because we already have the approval of Christ because His righteousness is bestowed upon us, then, then it doesn't matter what the praise of man says. It doesn't matter how many likes or anything we does because what ultimately matters is that we're glorifying Christ. That He is better. That Jesus is better than anything the world could offer. So we see that, that fake fasting leads to this approval of man. But the second thing I want us to see is this, is that real fasting gains the approval of God. Real fasting gains the approval of God. So now we're going to see in verses 17 and 18, Jesus says, okay, that's what the hypocrites do. And I'm expecting you to fast, but when you fast, here's what I expect you to do instead. And he's basically going to say the exact opposite of what the hypocrites said. So here's what it says in verses 17 to 18. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So basically, we're giving total opposites. So Jesus is saying, anoint your head with oil, or anoint your head. So basically, what anoint your head means, it means just it's just taking great care of yourself. Just taking great care of yourself and just grooming yourself normally, just looking normal, if you will, for lack of a better term. That, that they're not looking, let's say, unkempt or all over the place like the Pharisees would try to do just to gain attention. 
Or he would say, wash your face. Mainly, just, just, don't, just don't have the ashes on your face. Just, just look, for lack of a term, normal and happy. That we could just blend in with, with anyone else. That we're not trying to stick out just for the approval. So here's what we see is that if we're to anoint our heads, if we're to keep ourselves cleanly in that sense, if we're to wash our face, that way we're just looking normal and happy, we see this, we are not to draw attention to ourselves. We are not to draw attention to ourselves. Because we see, ultimately, we want to point our attention to Christ. As we see, we want our good works and everything we do ultimately bring glory to our Father in heaven. We want everything to do would point to Christ because it is not us. It's not, yet not I, but through Christ in me, as we just sang about. So as, as Aaron said, that he must increase. And the only way he can increase is if we decrease, which means we must take the spotlight off ourselves and point it to Christ. So let me ask you this. Again, it boils down to what is our motivation? In all of these things, in our, as we see, in our praying, in our giving, in our fasting, what is our motivation behind these things? So are you okay with serving, let's say, an event and no one knows? Are you okay with people not seeing, let's say, what you do for Christ? Because that is what we see here. Anoint your head with oil and wash your face so that your fasting won't be seen by others, but instead by God. So this motivation is what separates hypocritically self-righteous people from the truly righteous. So here's what we see in this next one. Motivation separates the self-righteous from the righteous. So the motivation in your heart, whatever your core heart is, whatever your core desire is, separates those that are being self-righteous and trying to promote themselves and build their kingdom from the righteous. Those that are trying to build Christ's kingdom and point others to Him. Is Who is the spotlight on? Who are you trying to point to ultimately with these things? Let me ask you this. What is your motivation? What do you desire the most above everything else? Do you desire Christ more than the world? Do you desire Christ more than the world? Are you okay with what you do not to be seen by others? Another example, I want us to look at where Jesus talks about just this this fasting and, and an important part of it and why we do it and a good motivation behind it is in Matthew 9, 14 and 15, where so some disciples of John, are approaching Jesus and are asking him a question about why aren't his disciples fasting. And so here's what he's saying. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they, then they will fast. So Jesus is telling them that the bridegroom, which is Christ himself, is still here. So at this time, Christ was still physically honored. The disciples were physically walking with Christ and learning with Christ and gaining more of Christ as they're walking alongside him. But he's saying when, when Christ, there's going to be a time where the bridegroom, Jesus, goes away, which was his crucifixion, and we ascended back up into heaven. And he said this is because then they will fast. Why? Because they longed for Christ. They desired for Christ above everything else. This is what happens when we fast, is that we are sacrificing the things of this world in order to focus more on Christ, is to desire more of Him, to have Him capture more of the affections of our heart. 
That as we see more of the brokenness in the world around us, we're saying, this is not right. This is not how it should be. And that we want more of Christ. We want Christ to come and redeem everything. We want Christ to come make this right. We want Christ to come make this situation whole again, as only He can. That as we do that, as we sacrifice more of things of this world and focus more on Christ, here's what we'll see, is that fasting helps us loosen our grip on this world. Is that fasting helps us loosen our grip on this world. That we see nothing in this world could satisfy. Nothing in this world can truly redeem. Only Christ can redeem. That we desire our bridegroom to come and redeem his bride and redeem this world that he has created. We'll desire that the more we focus on Christ, the more we focus on Christ and humble ourselves before him, the more we'll desire his things rather than the world's things. We'll desire more of the, just the praise of God rather than the praise of man. That we'll desire the world to come rather than the world around us. That he'll instill more of the desires of the things of heaven, the praise of God and the world to come. That he'll instill more of that. That his desires will become our desires. That the more we sacrifice, the more we're able to gain of Christ. So let me ask you this. Are you willing to sacrifice food to gain more of Christ? Are you willing to fast from your phone in order to gain more of Christ? Some of us will put our phone down for two seconds and we will freak out wondering where it is. We will. Like, are we willing to sacrifice that? Is that holding on to our hearts more than Christ? Does that have the affections of our heart more than Christ? Is there, let's say, a relationship that you're in that has your affections more than Christ? Is there a situation burdening your heart that you want to give more over to Christ? Because here's what we see. When we sacrifice for Christ, we will gain more of Christ. That's what we see here in verse 18. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. But as we sacrifice more of these worldly things, we're able to gain more of Christ. It is, it is the craziest paradox we could see. That in Matthew 16, 24 and 25, Jesus is saying, look, Whoever will lose his life will find it. What? Whoever loses his life will find it. Whoever loses his life will save it. Whoever surrenders his life will gain more of his life. Because the more we surrender our lives over to Christ, the more we gain Christ. The more that we gain eternal life. The more that we're able to live for Christ more. The more that we see that Christ is better We're able to surrender everything over to him. The more we see how amazing Christ is, the more we'll see how lackluster the world is. The more we see what Christ did for us on the cross, the humbler we will be and the more dependent we will be on Christ. Because we encounter the holy, perfect, amazing Christ. We truly see how sinful and unworthy we are. We also see just how beautiful Christ is and how much He loves us, and how much He cares for us, and how He holds us fast, and how He'll be with us every step of the way. It's a beautiful thing. Because in all these things, as we've seen so far, in our giving, in our praying, and now in our fasting, it's not to gain more brownie points with God. It's, it's not saying something where it's like, okay, I've got I to gotta work for my salvation. I've got uh, to work for the approval of God more now, and kind of keep, i got to hold fast this and keep it. No, Christ has already done the work. Christ has already forgiven us of those sins. Christ has already saved us and brought us into his family. 
And it's an overflow of that joy that He gives us, an overflow of that righteousness He's laid upon us, that we live out of that. I've always heard this phrase, we, we don't fight for victory, we fight from victory. And we're living out of the victory of the cross of Christ. That is what we live out of. Because now we see, wow, Christ is better. Christ is better than anything this world could offer. That it's about what we saw in Matthew 5.20, the beginning of all of this. That when Jesus was, was preaching all this, how we were to be salt and light, how, how, we're to, how he came to fulfill the law, and how we are to not do these things we've heard said before, but we're to obey acts that he's told us. It all started in Matthew 5.20 where it says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's because the only righteousness that is worthy is the righteousness of Christ. Because the Pharisees at this time lowered the standard, so lowered the standard of what God intended. Now Christ is raising these standards to where they're supposed to be, but even then exceeding that to say, how in the world can we even do this? We can't. Christ has. And that we live from His life, living in and through us. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, that I've been crucified with Christ. That we must surrender our life to Him and to have His righteousness bestowed upon us. That we surrender more of our hearts to Him. We need Christ. We desperately need Christ. Every day that we, we wake up, we are in a constant battle between flesh and spirit. That our flesh wants to build the kingdom of me. And Christ says, the Spirit says, we're going to build the kingdom of Christ. We constantly need His help, His motivation to help us loosen our grip of the things of this world and see just our need for Christ and the beauty of Him and to gain more of Him. So we see when we give, we pray, we fast, it's all to gain more of Christ and become even more conformed to that image of righteousness that He has laid upon us. So let me ask you this. Do you desire Christ more than you desire the world? Is there something of this world that holds the affections of your heart more? Is there a particular relationship you have? Is there a particular, let's say, profile you have? Is there a particular website that you go to that holds your affections more than Christ? Christ desires, He relentlessly pursues us. He relentlessly pursues us. Even those, even those times that we desire things more than Him, that He relentlessly pursues us, saying, I want that person in my family. I want to bestow righteousness upon them. I want to give them peace and joy beyond anything the world could satisfy. I want to be their everything that they have. So let me ask you this then. What is your motivation? Because that stems from this first one. If, if we desire Christ more, if we desire the world more. And what is our motivation? Is it the praise of man or is it the praise of God? And then that boils down to whatever our motivation is then, are you willing to sacrifice anything, anything, in order to gain more of Christ? Because what we want to see at the end of the day is that Christ surrendered all. And so because He surrendered all to save us, we see that not only is He all in, and is He with us every step of the way, but He gives us the grace to be able to surrender all over to Him, to live for Him, to grow more into His likeness, conform more into His image, and to make His name known. Then we fast, that's what happens. When we fast, we gain more of Christ, we desire more of Christ, and desire the things of this world less only by Him. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I just pray, would you just, just, 
open up our hearts and would you just lay our hearts bare and would you just examine our hearts? Would you find that there is no grievous way in us, but instead would you lead us in the way everlasting? Christ, would you, would you just be our all in all? And if there's any area of our lives that we are, we are holding on to tightly, would you just help us by your grace loosen our grip and surrender it over to you? Knowing that not only are you sovereignly in control of everything and of our lives, but also that you are better. Would you help each and every one of us taste and see that the Lord is good? Would you be the satisfaction of our hearts? Would you be the motivation of our lives in everything that we do? I pray for each and every one of these students. Would you just let just the all-encompassing love and power of the gospel just consume every aspect of our life? That it would just be the motivation in everything that we think, say, and do. And that we would continue to make Christ's name known as only you can. It's only by your grace we're able to do any of this. Pray all of this in Jesus' holy, precious name. Amen.